You know you need to turn off the news. You need to turn off the television. You need to turn off those other thoughts that crowd into your mind and focus on the goodness and the greatness of your God. Can you say man? I'll be so glad when this election is over. Amen. So I don't have to keep pushing all that junk out so I can get God's grace and peace in. Amen. Whoever gets in, we're supposed to pray for. It's, if certain people get in, either one, it's going to be hard. <laughs> but if we pray, God is still on the throne. And I keep thinking about Saul of Tarsus. If someone had told Christian, the Christians of that day... That Saul of Tarsus, the greatest persecutor of the church who held, egged them on, told them to do it, held the cloak of them that stoned the first Christian to death. If they had told him he's going to get saved and be one of the greatest preachers and greatest apostles, and he's going to write 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament, they had said, Seriously? <laughs> Seriously? You can't be serious. Not him. Maybe that gove, there's a pretty good guy. Maybe that tax collector, that physician will get saved, but not him. Not that guy. Not that guy. But God, to show his mercy and the power of his grace, God got a hold of that guy. And by the way, if he didn't get saved, he wasn't going to do no more what he was doing. Amen. Because he's on his face on the ground. And he wasn't going to get up without God. I'm going to guarantee you right now. God has a ways and means committee. To get a hold of people and get their attention. And wouldn't it be just like God to save some rascal? <laughs> God doesn't save one rascal. He can save another one. Praise God. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Come on, you rascal. Give me a fist, fist bump. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Come on, you were a rascal. I can't believe he was a rascal, but he was. You were a rascal too before God saved you. I guarantee you. You were of your father the devil. You were a rascal. You, you little rascal, you. Amen. <laughs> Come on, David. I know you got that preacher look and that prophet beard, but you were a rascal. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. But God, but God, but God, but God. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but God delivereth him out of them all. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 3, once again, verse 16 through 19. Instead of just dealing with the love of God, I want to deal with an issue of how to experience not only the love of God, but all that comes from God. This is an important message, and I won't get through it all this morning. But God's Word has to get past your mind and get down into your spirit. It needs to get down into your heart. Because He wants to give you peace that passes understanding. He can't do that except it's spiritually provided and spiritually understood and then spiritually appropriated. You can't just have it by getting into Norman Vincent Peale positive thinking. And that's what it is, basically, is positive thinking. They established the Christian Cathedral on the fact that man has a bad self-image 
And if he just, we can just change that bad self-image that he will become what God intended him to be. No man sinned and come short of the glory of God. He needs a Savior. And uh, it, of course, came to naught. But there's a lot of doctrines out there that are not coming to naught. They are prospering. Well, why does God allow that? Uh, Because when people reject light then more darkness can invade them. When people reject truth, then they're easily deceived. And when people want something, having itching ears, tell me what I want to hear, they will not endure sound doctrine. So it's easy for unsound, impure, polluted, perverted doctrines to get inside of them. Amen. You have to have a pure heart to stay free from all of that falsehood. Listen to what Paul wrote to them. And I just want to dwell on this stuff that passes knowledge, that exceeds your human ability to understand, to perceive, to receive from God. The peace that he gives is like this. Let me just say this up front. In all things, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding will keep your heart and your mind through Jesus Christ. That word keep is the Greek word for a fortress, a bulwark. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Can you say amen? It's an ancient word for what we would consider today maybe not as ancient as the biblical days as a castle a keep, as they call them a keep, because it kept out those that wanted to come and rob and steal and, and hurt and do harm and take over. Amen. It will keep, literally build a wall around your heart and your mind. The Bible said in the Old Testament, he will keep them in perfect peace. Uninterrupted, perpetual peace, whose mind is what? Stayed on thee. Listen, because he trusteth in thee. It's how you think about God. It's how you're thinking about God. Are you thinking about him? Lord, help me. If you don't help me, I don't know what I'm going to do. Are you saying, Lord, I know you're going to help me? Because my trust is in you. I trust you with this. I trust you with it. You can't, you can't get rid of that junk if you don't trust Him with it. And you've got to find Him trustworthy. And we've we got, we got to get out of this idea that, that, that is part of our... It almost killed me my first years of pastoring. It could kill me today. It has the potential. I'm, I'm talking about literally kill me physically. It about killed me. When I read in the Scripture about Paul talking about that, that cometh upon me daily, the care, there's that word, the care of all the churches. That wasn't his administrative duties. It wasn't even going down to referee the church fights as an apostle and try to be an arbitrator. You know what it was? It's what he saw happening before the first generation of Christians passed. He saw people that did run good for a while. You want to know something breaks a preacher's heart? If he loves God and loves people, is people come in and get saved, get baptized in water, get down to the altar, and we all pray with them. They confess Christ, and the next thing you hear, they're right back out in the world doing the same old junk. That's heart-rending. Paul said, that's a daily issue with me. 
Because he wrote, you did run good for a while. What hindered you? What in the world, literally, what in the world was more important than your salvation of your soul? It got to Jesus. He said, what would a man give in exchange for his soul? I can't believe that, that you don't conceive and understand the weight of your decision when you reject Jesus to go out and choose the world. Reject light and choose darkness. What hindered you? That's why Paul wrote and encouraged. He said, lay aside the sin and weight and sin that does so what easily besets you. That you can run with patience, which means perseverance, the race that is set before you. Looking to Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of your faith. Consider Him that suffered such a great contradiction of sinners against Himself, lest you be weary and faint in your own mind. In other words, if you don't get your mind off of you, you're going to be crushed by your pressures, your problems, your pain. Because that's where your mind's going to focus. And it's going to crush the life out of you. It's going to take a spiritual toll on you because the Word is going to be choked. Amen? You can't look to Jesus and be thinking about your problem at the same time. You can only think about one of them at a time. You can't blend them. I've heard people that look like they were about to explode tell me, I got all the faith in the world. I thought, if you got all the faith in the world, you ain't got no problems. Amen. So whatever you ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. Then you ain't got no problem. How can you have a problem if you receive everything you pray for? Well, it must be a, yeah, that's pride. That's pride. Listen to me carefully. Let's get down in the real world for just a little while. And the peace of God that passes all understanding. You open up a Webster's Dictionary and you read about peace in its shortest form, a brief form. There's all kinds of elaborate things to say the brief thing. And it just simply said the cessation of wars. No more conflicts in my life. The cessation of wars. What do you have when all wars cease? You got peace. Problem is, there's an ongoing war taking place in the believer. The flesh, warring against the spirit. And the spirit is warring against the flesh. So the peace he gives had better transcend all of that fussing and fighting going on between the flesh and spirit. Remember the story I told you about the Eskimo that came to Christ through a missionary's efforts. And he left uh, one of the leading uh, spirit persons who showed such spiritual potential in charge. When he went out to preach to others, he came back after a year to that same village and he asked the pastor that he put in charge how's it going with you and he was honest forthright and candid he said there's two dogs in me and they fight most all the time and the missionary said well which one usually wins he said the one i feed the most can you say man amen if you feed your flesh Amen. Your flesh will triumph over your spirit. But if you feed your spirit, Amen. And be strengthened with might where? In your inward man. Though the outward man perish. The inward man, the spiritual man, hallelujah, is renewed 
day by day. Give us this day. Don't just think about your belly when you pray that. Think about your soul. There's soul food, and it's not pork chops and collard greens. Can you say, man? But it does the same thing for your soul that just made your saliva gland turn loose just then. Can you say, man? Your soul is hungry for the things of God, and He's the bread of life, and He gives living water to wash it down with. But you can't get it from the world. You can't get it from the preachers that are enamored with the world because all they talk about is the material world. And this is something spiritually discerned, spiritually imparted, spiritually received. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. That means your brain sitting in your head without the Holy Spirit working within you can't conceive it. You can go to Bible college. I'm, I'm, listen, I, 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 I've been eating breakfast for five years with a man that's a graduate from, from, and he's supposed to be Pentecostal in his background. I'm not sure what he is anymore because he went to Bible college. And, and, and in the Bible college, and, and, and God knows where he is, and God looks at the heart, but, but he graduated from, from Dallas Theological Seminary. He doesn't agree with his professors because he knows that's different from his belief system. But if you are a graduate from Dallas Theological cemetery. I mean seminary. I'm sorry. You got me way off course today. I'm rubbing off on him, and I don't know if that's good or bad. Can you say amen? And, and we ask a pointed question. What are you going to do with this degree? Because he is one that normally would look to the anointing, and he talks about the power of God. I thought, well, then the Ph.D. from Dallas in theology is not a big deal it's a big deal to people, though. There are certain churches, if you don't have a degree from a Bible college, a high degree, they won't even consider you. It's not about the anointing or the appointing of God. And I don't want to be in one of those churches because churches with that attitude, what could I do for them? I couldn't do anything. I'd have to go in and start talking about God and call Him God. And I'd start talking about hope and say, hope. Only God can give you hope. And use $50 words to say a 25 cents worth of stuff. Can you say, man, because I've been to school. And I've graduated. I sat down with a professor from a Bible college. At, at, uh, uh, the other day, he was having gravy and biscuits. I didn't know professors from Bible college eat gravy and biscuits. But it's good for me to see. Amen. He was having gravy and biscuits. And I, he invited me to sit down and ask me what I thought about what they were going to do online to attract people to take the courses. And, and he said, why don't you sign up? And I said, because I'm too involved in the work of the Lord to prepare for it. I love Bible college. I just don't have time to go back to school. My time is kind of getting down three score and ten. I'm going to hit it in January. That's allotted, man. By reason of strength, four score. If I could live ten more years, I'll, I'll have to watch my diet, stay stress-free, Amen. Stay focused on Jesus. Put my trust in God. Amen. Say my prayers and take my vitamins. By reason of strength, four score. But he makes no promise past four score. 
He said, this, you're going to live out your days. Well, I don't have time to go back and get ready to do something that I've been doing for four decades plus. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I, I don't celebrate ignorance. If, I, if I'd had the opportunity of money to go to Bible college, that's the first place I would have went. But I had a family to feed. I had children at home. I had a house payment and electric payment. And God just grabbed a hold of me and called me to preach. Hallelujah. And with the calling, I actually, I sat for four and a half years with preachers, having prayer for one another, praying for the cities and praying for nations and, and interacting. And one of the preachers going to Bible college in Plant City said to me, he said, he said, Brother Venerable, I would love to have you as my professor. And I looked at him and I thought, what? He said, I would love to have you as my professor. I would, I would love to sit under your teaching. He said, in fact, you could subsidize your income if you could go ahead and, 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 and fill in for some professors down at the bottom. I said, what are you talking about? He said, you know, you could fill in for some of the professors. I said, I've never been to Bible college. And his eyes got big. It's like, what? <laughs> what? And then, and then he said, well, you must be God called then. I said, that's it. That's it. Whom God calls... He equips. Now, I don't believe the old Pentecostal saying, just open your mouth and God will fill it. Uh, uh, yeah, you've got to put something in for God to pull out. Amen. But the, but the Bible said to study, to show yourself approved. A workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightfully dividing the word of truth. If it can be rightfully divided, it can be wrongfully divided, and we need to make sure that we're comparing spiritual with spiritual and Scripture with Scripture. And, and the best commentary on Scripture is Scripture. Not Schofield. He was good till it came to the Holy Spirit, and then he doesn't have a lot to say. I love to hear the song come on the radio. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord. That guy just taught the Bible, and he taught it in a monotone, but it went around the world, and it touched nations and people, and people came to Christ. But when it comes to the miracles and the baptism in the Holy Ghost, he said, I'll give $1 million to anyone that can show me a miracle today. Now, number one, I don't think he had a million dollars, and number two, I don't think he would believe me if I went and talked to him. I am a miracle. Amen. I can show him me. I, I, love, I love your daughter. <laughs> they were talking about miracles over in the Sunday school class. And, and said, does anybody know anybody that got a miracle that you know personally? And, and Kayla stood up and said, me! <laughs> me! I don't have to know somebody else. Me! I am a miracle. Because she knows that due to circumstances... She's a child that wasn't, wasn't supposed to be conceived, let alone born. And yet, she was conceived and born. And therefore, she's a miracle. Because even Webster says, a miracle is a supernatural intervention. See, you've got to believe that God is. 
and that he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. Amen. A supernatural. That's why the atheists can't have any faith in anything. Because they don't believe in anything supernatural. Listen, the people who are devil worshipers have more faith than atheists. Because they believe in the supernatural. But the atheist doesn't believe in a supernatural intervention because it would take a being that you can't see, i.e. the Spirit of God. A supernatural intervention. Just like your fingers. Supernatural intervention. The glove she was wearing when she reached down to get a stick out from under her moor. Don't ever do it again. Did you slap her? You haven't slapped her yet? I slapped her for you, but it wasn't a real slap. You need to be slapped when you do that. And by somebody that knows how. Amen. No, I'm just kidding. You know, once you get your fingers almost cut off, you don't need nobody to slap you. You get the message. You don't stick your hand even near there, let alone stop. Turn the frazzling thing off. Get off the mower. Say a prayer. And then go. <laughs> Make sure it ain't a snake. And then pull it out. Can you say amen? Amen? When that blade hit her fingers, for all practical purposes, she should have lost the tip of how many? The cut was... Yeah, the, the cut on the glove was way up there, not the tip, but way up there. And she's got the glove with the cut on it where the blade hit it. But God intervened because she needs her fingers, and she needs them all to work, and God just intervened. Miracles are commonplace. You can't have God without the miracles. Amen. You have to doubt that God exists to not believe in miracles. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. And they that come to God must believe, number one, that He exists. He is a real being. He has personality. He has power. And He has purpose for you and purpose for me. Can you say amen? You have to believe that He is. And not only that He is, but that He is a responder, a rewarder of them who diligently seek Him. Hallelujah. Praise God. So there's peace that passes understanding. And then in this scripture I'm about to read, there's love that passes knowledge. How can you know something that passes knowledge? And what you're doing is right. You're saying that is right. That's what the scriptures say. But until the Holy Spirit reveals it to you by His Spirit, comparing spiritual with spiritual, it's only in your head. And it won't help you when the pressure's on because it's got to get from your head down into your heart. Can you say, man? The Bible does not say that all things work together for good as some theological concept for you to give mental consent or assent to. That's not what the Scriptures teach. The Bible doesn't say that all things work together for good in context. It does not say that. Because just giving mental assent to that theological statement will not give you the peace that passes understanding when the trouble comes. And you know it. Because every worrying Christian today knows that Scripture. Here. Amen? But they don't know it here. 
Because it's a peace that what? Passes what? Passes here. That's why the Bible said to trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding. When you do that, you can commit your way unto Him. Trust also in Him, and He will bring it to pass. What is it? What His eternal purpose is in your life, no matter what is touching your life at any given time. It releases Him through your trust in Him. Hallelujah. And you're waiting on Him. They that wait upon the Lord shall become wore down, wore out, beat down, battered, and beat up, and beleaguered. No, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like an eagle. They will run. And even young men. Come on, this is not about your physical ability to hang in there. Amen. Your strength of your youth. Even young men shall, shall fail and fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not be weary. And they will walk and not faint. Glory to God. And the word wait in the Hebrew. It doesn't mean to be passive. It means to be actively pursuing God. And actively trusting God. The word wait means to bind together by twisting. Is there anything passive about that? If you're going to make a rope out of three cords, you're going to have to weave them together. You're actively, actively. Faith is active. It's not passive. It's not taking a, taking a number. Go in Publix to get me some roast turkey breast at the busy time. You grab a number, and they're going to call number 52. And if I'm patient enough, they're going to call number 97. <laughs> Depending on the public's and the time of day. Everybody say patience. Bible said in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 32, after you were illuminated... See, you didn't get this just by somebody teaching it to you. You got a revelation. And the revelation brought something, made something clear that wasn't seen after you were illuminated. The God of this world has blinded the minds of men, but God took the blinders off and let you see your lost condition. God took the blinders off and let you see your need for a Savior. And He took the blinders off and let you see who the Savior is. You didn't have to go through all the world religions to figure it out. Can you say, man, flesh and blood didn't reveal it. Flesh and blood did not reveal it. Flesh and blood can teach, but only God can reveal these things by the Holy Spirit. Flesh and blood didn't reveal who I was, Peter, to you, a fisherman. You're not part of the Sanhedrin. You're not a theologian. You're not on that level that's above your pay grade. And yet when I ask you, who do you say that I am? Without skipping a beat, you say, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen. And Jesus said, yeah, and thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church. Listen, flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. Hallelujah. 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 It's not revealed by the Holy Spirit. It's only in your head. And if it's only in your head, that peace can be interrupted because there's all kind of stuff that goes on in your head. In your soulless man is the seat of the will. 
It's the seat of your emotions and affections. That's where all that dwells. Emotion is in there. Emotion is in there. Emotion is in there. It's one of the five senses. And the Bible said we walk by faith and not by sight. It's not just sight physically. It's spiritual insight and understanding. And sight represents one of five physical senses. Taste, hearing, touch, sight, seeing. Yeah, feelings, emotions. It's all part of the sense knowledge. It tells you everything that you need to know about the physical world. It tells you nothing about the spirit realm. Amen? That's why when someone is walking around dwelling on the things of the material and the physical and never giving God the opportunity to invade that world with His supernatural peace and power and presence... That's why you stay defeated with scriptures all over the refrigerator. Amen? I mean, you can stay defeated with the Word of God pasted everywhere you turn. All the promises of God all over the place. Stay defeated. Stay depressed. Stay defrauded from what God has provided in Christ for you. He wants you to know the peace that passes understanding. But He wants you to get past your head. Can you say, man, and down into your heart. Let me give you this scripture that made you look at me like a calf at a new gate a while ago. The Bible doesn't say that all things work together for good in context. So that you can give mental assent to that without grabbing a hold of what God wants to grab a hold of you to get a hold of. You know what it says? For we know. I'm talking about here either. I'm talking about beyond here because sometimes I don't know what God is doing up here. I don't have a clue. What in the world good is that going to serve? Who was the prime minister? Where's Ruth? If she was only here today, the prime minister during World War II of, of, of England who... Winston Churchill, we'll fight them in the ditches. We'll fight them in the, in the sea. We'll fight them on the land. We'll fight them in the air. He inspired a nation to stand up against Nazi Germany and fight, and they did. But he lost some elections. I believe he was destined to be where he was for that time. Whether he was a man of God or not, I don't debate that. I, one thing for sure, he was God's man for the hour. Amen. Winston Churchill. And when he was in a deep depression, because he had lost an election terribly, his wife came to him. And she told him, she said, listen, listen, you know, sometimes things like this happen. Don't don't be discouraged. Don't be defeated. Sometimes sometimes things like this are just just part of life. But it, it couldn't get through to him. He said sometimes blessings, sometimes these things are blessings in disguise, was her quote. And he said if it's a blessing, it's very well disguised. Can you say amen? Amen? Probably took a puff off his big black cigar and blew a smoke ring. 
Some blessings are very well disguised. One of the greatest, the, not one, the greatest blessing to all humanity was when Jesus hung on that cross. But it was very well described. For if the princes of this world had known, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. Can you say, man, if they had known what? God's salvation plan. God's purpose for him to be on that cross. And for Peter didn't know it, for he drew his sword and Jesus said, put it up. Because the blessing was well disguised. Can you say, man, Mary didn't know it because they came to anoint his body because the resurrection was about to occur, but the blessing was well disguised. Can you say, man, hallelujah, hallelujah. Wasn't it well disguised? You see, God don't operate. How could anyone conceive that? How could anyone, anyone ever figure it out? Satan, with all of his wiles, never figured it out until after the cross and after the resurrection when Jesus took the keys of death and hell from him. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. He wasn't tormented in hell for your sins. He was tormented on the cross. And he said something that should shut every other theology, doctrine, and preacher's mouth. He said, Tetelaste. One word. Translated in three for our understanding. It is finished. It is accomplished. Literally paid in full. If it was paid in full at the cross, and it was, then he didn't have to go to hell for me and be tormented. Because it's also said that he will not suffer his Holy One to see corruption. Hallelujah. That's one soul that Satan couldn't touch. One soul that Satan couldn't imprison. One soul that he had no part in because it had no sin at all. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. And yet there's tens of thousands of people running after those doctrines because it's new and different. They're looking for something sensational and something to say, I'm a Paul. You think he's good? (laughs) I'm a Paulus. (laughs) In fact, I had a loved one that got involved with some lady that was the head of some organization. And he said, she's just that close to God. When he said that, I thought, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Amen. There's a lot of people close to God, but when you got somebody on that kind of pedestal, they're sitting so close to him, you couldn't, you couldn't, you know, slide a funeral fan between them. Amen. That's, that's pride. And here's how pride works. I'll show you once it gets in doctrine. Remember when Paul talked about caught up to third heaven? There's the heavens we see. There's a heavens that we can't see with our best telescope. And there's somewhere beyond all of that. Amen. And you can't see it. And you can't reach it with no kind of rocket. You could go at the speed of light for a million years and you couldn't get there. Because that's where God's heaven is. And Paul called it a heaven beyond the heavens. Third heaven. Well, they took that. When pride gets in, listen to the doctrine. Pride got in, and if you listen to our teaching, that gets you away from your family, your friends, and everybody else that could balance you. 
and you listen exclusively to us, you will receive a revelation. And through that revelation, you will be promoted when you get to heaven to a place where the people with that deeper revelation live. And, and he said, there's three tiers to heaven. First heaven is just for basic Christians. And I said, like me. And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's a second heaven for people that have come up a little higher. And then there's a third heaven for those that have got into that exclusive deeper revelation. And I said, so, I said, so when I get to heaven, when, when I get to heaven, I'll never see you. And he thought about it. You know, scratch his head. He said, you know, I never thought of that. He said, he said, that's right. I thought, that's right. So, depending on the degree of your revelation, you may be in the second tier, the first tier, but if your loved one's up on the third tier, so you better get out of your church, and you better get out of your cover, and you better get over under that teaching to get you to that level where everybody else is. And it gets real crazy out there in theology world. But there was a church of 5,000 doctors, lawyers, vegetarians, and veterinarians. Can you say amen? And you wonder how anyone with a little bit of gray matter, just natural human logic, could fall into that. But you see, once you start down error, it doesn't take a big thing to begin with. It's a slippery slope, and it leads downward. It's like the material message today that focuses largely on the material world until there's a large portion of Christianity absolutely not concerned or looking for the soon coming of Jesus Christ because they are seeking the material gain. And, and baby Christians get into that. They got in there. I, w- I went to a, a, a crusade where many people came to the Lord shortly after I was a Christian. And, and this lady that went with us, she had a young convert, only been saved six weeks, went to that meeting and heard about the soon coming of Jesus. And she was very quiet on the way home, she said. And she said, I, I asked her, is anything wrong? She said, you really believe Jesus could come back at any time? That he could come back at any moment? And she said, yeah, he could. Instead of rejoicing in that, now this, this is how baby Christians would, would act. When you've got your mind on the material, you haven't seen the spiritual. You don't know the glory. I, I tell you, there ain't no house down here that you can live in that's going to take of the peace and joy and health. Amen. Ask, ask Brother Cristela who was up all night with an infected tooth. I don't care what kind of house you're living in. You can have eight bedrooms and six bathrooms, but if you've got a toothache, you can't have no fun. Can you say, man, give me a glorified body in a, in a double wide. <laughs> Hallelujah. And it'll be heaven to me. <laughs> of course, there ain't no double wides. It's better than that. Listen to me carefully. And she said, well, my husband and I have been saving and saving and saving, and we just bought a home a brand new home and fully equipped kitchen. And she was lamenting having to leave that home for that home. And I thought, that's so childish. She's been saved six weeks. She don't get it yet. 
But honey, there are preachers that have been saved years and congregations that don't get it yet. They're still seeking the things of this world to fulfill them, make them happy, and to show the world that they are the chosen people of God. It's your material possessions that do that, not your spiritual possession. And that materialistic message has held back a true revival. Though it's built huge churches and huge followings and multi-million dollar mansions for ministers, it has held back the true revival because your focus has to shift from the material to the spiritual. And a new value system has to set in. I heard one leader say, he said, he said, he said I was c- contemplating what Jesus meant when he said it's better to give than it is to receive. And he said, but... Sitting there in my car, I got the revelation. If you don't give, you can't receive. He just saw the material. Will you listen to this one? I went to a man to do my taxes. He got into that stuff. And he, he was a CPA, certified public accountant. And he was mathematically good. But he had given from his business to that particular ministry. And he was looking for his hundredfold on it. And he did the math to find out what God owed him. And he told me, he said, Preacher, he said, the way my books read, and I did the math, I'm several hundred thousand dollars short. So I guess he's going to bill God for that. Well, didn't the Bible say that, that if, you, if, if, you, if, you, if no man has left father, mother, sister, brother, house, lands for my sake in the gospel, that shall not receive a hundredfold fathers, mothers, sisters, brothers, husbands, wives, houses, and lands down at the end? It's got to be all spiritual. I can't afford all those wives. How are you going to receive a hundredfold wives? That's polygamy. How about fathers? I got one earthly daddy. I'm going to get a hundredfold fathers. If that's not spiritual, then then I, how how's that going to be? How about mothers, sisters, brothers? You know, when I came into the family of God, I got five spiritual daddies, and now I are one. After all of these years of looking for one, now I am one. Amen. I am. I am. I am. I am. I'm the old guy. I'm the guy that's proved God. I'm the guy that'll tell you God will pull you through. I'm the guy that God pulls through. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Praise God. I got spiritual mamas. I can't find one now. They're all in heaven, but I had some spiritual mamas. Spiritual daddies. When I first got saved, all those that were 40 and above were spiritual mamas and daddies to me. If they were following Jesus, they invested in me. And I, I'm an only child till I got saved. But when I got saved, I got sisters and brothers. Can you say, man? Hallelujah. 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 I was walking in Haiti trying to get to the orphanage because I, I had missed the tap-tap. Tap Tap is a, is a truck with a little cover on the top of it, a small size like an S10 with about literally 20 people in the back of it holding on to two old poles going down the road. And what you do, you tap on the roof of the truck 
when you want it to stop and let you off somewhere. It just barrels down the road until it, it's a tap-tap. And they called them tap-taps, and I missed my tap-tap. And I said, Lord, how am I going to get It's hot. It's five miles to the orphanage down this road. And I missed that tap-tap, and I don't see nobody else coming. And suddenly, a jeep came up, and there were two men in it. And they began to talk to me in broken English with a French accent. And they were from Canada, from French-speaking portion of Canada. And they said, where are you going? And I said, I'm headed that way. I'd like to get to. They say, hop in, we'll take you. And I thought, oh, that's good. That's good. And, and on the way, guess what? I felt like I had known them forever. One Tertullian who wrote, he was a historian during the time of the forming of Christianity. He said, when they meet each other, if they have never seen each other, they act like they have been friends forever. Wow, that's incredible. Something God was forming, God was doing in the church. The hundredfold. What can lands give you that could replace in joy and fulfillment what Christ can give you and the Holy Spirit can give you? Lands can't give you peace. If it could, landowners would have it. Material things can't give you fulfillment. Ever getting, the Bible said, but never having enough. Always want That's dissatisfaction. You know what they asked Michael Jackson a year before he passed away? In a, in a journalist asked him this pointed question. He says, Michael, do you have peace? And he said, yes, but I'm not satisfied. I thought, darling, if you ain't satisfied... You don't have peace because contentment only comes when you're satisfied. Hallelujah. And only Jesus can satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. Like Billy Graham quoted someone else when he said, there's a God-shaped vacuum inside of every man, woman, boy, and girl. And until God fills that gaping hole, And no one would ever find fulfillment in anything in this world. And when there was a shift from the spiritual to the material, from the eternal to the temporary, churches grew like crazy, but the Spirit of God did not move in them. Everybody was looking at the man and what he had, And actually, it was cultivating covetousness. You know what the Bible said? Be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. That's where your riches are. Amen. For we brought nothing into this world. And we're not going to take anything out of it. But godliness with contentment is what? It's great gain. Glory to God. Be content with such things as you have. If you have Christ and food and raiment, there would be content, happy. It produces discontent when you're told that you're spiritually not receiving what you're supposed to have unless you have this and have that and have the other. Man I worked with got into that doctrine. 
better known as the prosperity movement. Oh, by the way, God loves to bless his people. The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich. He has no sorrow with it. But the best way to qualify for a material blessing is to not have your heart set on material things. If you can be happy without it, God can trust you with it. But if you think you can't be happy without it, how in the world could he push? He would just push you further into the world by giving it to you. Some people are in it for the fish and loaves. And you take that incentive away. The cross has no power and no purpose in their life. And Paul said, I don't want to know anything among you but Christ and Him crucified. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Are you getting some of this today? Something has to get beyond the head. Something has to get into the heart. For the carnally, carnally mind, to be carnally minded is spiritually to be dead. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace and peace and peace. I'm going to read one scripture as we close. By the way, I tried to tell the guy the hundredfold wasn't just money. By the way, he didn't want to hear it. Because he's a CPA counting on the money. And the only reason he gave in the first place is to get the money of... Where else can you get? What, listen, what, what, what stock can you invest in that's guaranteed a hundred times whatever you put in it? He was a few hundred thousand. He must have given a lot. He, but it adds up. You give ten, you get a hundred. Give a hundred, you get a thousand. Give a thousand, you get a hundred thousand. Give a hundred thousand, you get a million. So you become a multi-millionaire. You become a Donald Trump. I saw a shirt the other day. It was brand new in the package. Somebody dumped it at the Goodwill. I, I, I look for stuff in the package with a tag on it, and I don't have to pay $50 for it. Get it for four seventy-seven plus tax. And I thought, I don't know. <laughs> That's a pretty shirt. I'd have to tear the tag out first thing. <laughs> I'm not for or against anybody, but we need a revival church, and we need it in the church, and we need spiritual leaders that will point us toward God, point us toward Christ, point us toward the cross, and point us toward heaven, because Jesus is coming soon. And God wants to have a sweeping worldwide revival, and it's on. While we're sitting here in churches, and churches are building bigger buildings and promising people pie in the sky. Amen. There's something more in the sky that we're to be looking for. Amen. And to them that look... To them that look, if you long for Him, you're looking for Him. To them that look, to them that look, to them that look, He shall appear the second time without sin unto glory. Not that He's sinless. He is sinless. But this is not about His sinlessness. He's not coming to judge sin. He's coming to take those whose sins have been forgiven to the Father's house. Hallelujah. Woo! To them that look. All right, Colossians 3, verse 1, 2, and 4. This is where we need to be spiritually and where our leaders need to be pointing us. Heard a guy that has a, his taxes on his home is 185000 a year. If I had his house, I'd have to sell it because I couldn't afford the taxes. Can you afford 185000 a year taxes? I didn't think so. 
And he said, you know, we used to drive around. And he said, I would see homes that were so beautiful. And I thought, well, I wish I had a home like that. And we'd look around and finally we realized that we were not believing God and we were not doing what we needed to do to get a home like that. And we just made a decision. My wife and I, we're going to come in agreement. We're going to have a house just like that house. In fact, we're going to have a house better than that house. And there it sits, you know. And then everybody in the audience getting wide-eyed. Nobody going to sleep in that sermon. Come on, we're talking about a big old house now. Amen. We're talking about eight bedrooms, six bathrooms. No, usually when there's eight bedrooms, there's ten bathrooms. Can you say amen? We're talking about a wall around it. We're talking about a gate, electronic gate. We're talking about the best furniture money can buy. I want one of them. So I better invest my time, my attention, my money in that ministry because I'll have a house like that. If the Christian church had got into that attitude, the gospel would have never got out of Jerusalem. It would have been stopped. There would be missionaries would have not left their homes, their careers, and went to the nations and give up everything to tell somebody about Jesus. But they saw something beyond this world, beyond the physical. They laid their life on the line and laid it down gladly. You saw some of the, the documentaries of these men and women who laid down their life to tell somebody about Jesus. And, and if they didn't get to tell it when people saw how they died for the sake of the gospel, the next group of missionaries were received because they said, if it's this precious and this powerful, it must be true. And they began to listen to them. It's a blood-bought gospel. And it's a blood-brought gospel. Can you say man? And that's what makes it so precious. You were not redeemed with corruptible things. That, that can decay and pass away. After the tradition of your fathers. In other words, if you're going to get a blessing, you've got to pay somebody for it. Can you say man? It's got to cost you something material to get something material. That's the tradition of your fathers. But you were redeemed by the precious blood of a lamb. Something beyond price. Can you say man? Hallelujah. There will never be revival in America until the blood becomes precious again. Can you say, man, until the cross becomes central again? Until Christians get excited about their salvation, not pining away, waiting on God to give them something they think they need to be revived or happy. If you don't have peace in your heart, driving in your Bentley is not going to satisfy you. If you don't have joy in your soul, that house can't give you that joy. There's a pastor in the Lakeland area. Pastors a huge church. Several thousand. Told the founder of all pro pastors, he said, they built us a house like you wouldn't believe. He said, it's got a kitchen that you just wouldn't believe. He said, there's told the different kinds of tile and marble and not just stuff you get at Lowe's. Special order stuff and special craftsmen to put it all in. He said, we've lived in a deer. And you know why he called? He called for prayer because he was depressed. And because his marriage was in trouble. Now, you can have a big church, but if you don't have peace in your heart, 
You can have a beautiful house, but if it isn't a home where love prevails, you're poor. And he told him in confidence, and you don't know who he is, so it's in confidence still. It'll stay in confidence. But he told him, said, we have lived there for a year. And we're both so busy with the church that we haven't had one home-cooked meal in that beautiful kitchen. She gets home after me. I get home after her. We barely pass along the way. And our marriage has lost its intimacy. And we'll tell you what happens when marriage loses its intimacy. You are vulnerable to the devil because he's going to send someone to fill that gap. What good is a house that's not a home? What good is a marriage where two people look like they stepped out of some catalog somewhere? GQ catalog on Sunday morning in an Armani suit and a Rolex watch. And the wife has a hairdo that costs $300 without the tip. What would the tip be on a $300 hairdo? You have no idea. You ain't never done one of them. Okay, just asking. You did my hair. You saw what the tip was on my $20 hairdo. She didn't do it this week, but one time you did. While she was cutting my hair, I was singing, My Sharia more. But my mother-in-law cut my hair and cut my ear. Made it bleed. Apologized, but my ear didn't care about no apology. <laughs> just say amen. I forgave her my ear didn't. <laughs> I told my wife, I said, I'm going to pay that barber next time. <laughs> she means well, but she should get to whacking. I had that long hair back then. Come down over your ear. She couldn't see my ear for the hair. Going to get that hair, boy. Wow. Here we are. We need America to get a spiritual viewpoint. All right, let's close with Colossians. Peace that passes understanding. I want you to understand how to get that. Love that passes knowledge. I want you to be able to experience that. Because if you don't, for all practical purposes, we're in the same boat the world is. They don't have no peace. They don't have no hope. They don't know nothing about the love of God. There's a big vacuum on the inside, and they're going to keep running to every playground that Satan puts. And it's not sin. The sin is not the places. The sin is the problem in the heart. When the heart can't find rest or fulfillment without something to excite it with the promise of fulfillment. If you be risen with Christ, when you got saved, a resurrection occurred in your spirit. You hath He quickened, made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sin. Say it with me. When I got saved, a resurrection occurred in my spirit. Amen. It had to. You hath he made alive. You were dead as far as God. Your conscience was dead to God. You had no consciousness of God. But he quickened you. Gave you life. And if you be risen with Christ... And then you were baptized in water. Hallelujah. Symbolizing that you've been raised from the dead. Hallelujah. Spiritually. If you be risen with Christ, seek 
those things above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above and not the things of the earth. What did Jesus say? I've got to close. It's so hard. There's so much here. Jesus said, beware. You should see red lights flashing, hear bells clanging, and see a guard coming down when a passenger train is coming at 90 miles an hour. Beware, lest your hearts, speaking to believers, be overcharged with surfeiting, drunkenness, and the there it is, 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 and the cares of this life, lest that day come upon you as a thief, for as a snare, as a trap, unseen, unprepared for, suddenly, Snapping shut as a snare, it shall come upon all the inhabitants of the earth. Can you say amen? So don't get caught up in what they're caught up in. As it was in the... Listen, eating is not bad. Drinking iced tea is not bad. We're not talking about alcoholic beverages. We're talking about being drunk on cares. We know we should stay away from alcohol. That should be a given. We're talking about cares. There's some of you in here that wouldn't touch a drop of alcohol, but you'll worry yourself sick. Amen? And won't deal with it like you would alcohol. If you bring beer in my house, there, I saw a sign the other day that said, Don't cry over spilled milk. It could have been beer. Back in the day, you know what that was talking about. You bring beer in my house, it's going to be gone. Amen. Can't drink it in my house. I'm a teetotaler. I see what alcohol has done to my son. I'll never tell you. It's all right. There are Christians drinking wine with their meal. And look where they are spiritually today. They started out with little compromises, but little foxes spoil the vine, and the vine is in trouble today. You mark it down. You, you can, you can, all things are lawful for me. If we want to get down to the legal stuff, but it's not expedient for me. If my brother don't eat meat, I ain't got a problem with it. But when I'm at his house, I'm not going to eat meat. Can you say man? Hallelujah. All things are lawful, but it's not expedient. It's not good for me. It's not going to bring glory to the kingdom. I really believe believe i'll never try it i've never have tried it since i've been a christian not going to try it but i could have a glass of wine with my spaghetti at a restaurant and never even hardly feel it and never become a drunk but somebody sitting at a table that gives themselves permission to drink it is going to become an alcoholic my my son started drinking with a christian band that's where he got his first exposure to alcohol and he became an absolute alcoholic 100% twice in the hospital with alcohol poisoning almost died from it so if you're looking for a preacher to tell you go ahead and and just do these things this is not the preacher you're looking for can you say man it is not all right because you'll cause a weaker brother to fall and we got to take some kind of responsibility for what we do listen to me i don't want to stay down that road i want to hurry and close listen to me if you be risen with christ seek those things that are above set your affection on things above and verse 4 says, and do something with your flesh that wants to 
bypass all of that and stay focused and involved, looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for fulfillment in the same things the world says you must have to be happy. Mortify your members and deeds upon the earth in verse 4. We need somebody in the pulpit somewhere to say, look up, church. Hallelujah. Look up. Look up. Your redemption is drawing nigh. Glory to God. Lay your treasure up in heaven where the thief can't steal it and the rust can't corrupt it and the moth can't eat it up. But where, listen, this is crucial, where your heart is, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going. You can come to church and sing, Oh, how I love Jesus until you're hoarse. But it's where you prioritize in your life. It's where your heart's going to go. And I see the church today just like Lot's wife. We know this world is not going to stand the wrath of God. We know, as we know it, it's going to be destroyed. We know that. We know we've been called out of the city of destruction. And she came out, but not in her heart. Her heart stayed in that city. How do you know? Because she longed to be back in that debauchery and that sin more than she loved to be free from the judgment that was already pronounced on it. And as she walked along, and God did something to remind us throughout all time the danger of looking back. The danger of, because looking back is the same as going back. Because if she could go back, she would have went back. Amen? If you're looking back, if you could go back, you will go back. You will go back. You'll keep choosing the world over and over because that's where your heart is. She looked back and, and an immediate judgment fell on her. And you know what Jesus said in the New Testament to the New Testament church? Remember Lot's wife. Jesus said, remember. Remember. How are we going to remember if we're being focused on this world instead of told to quit looking back? Not being given any of the dangers of looking back. Because looking back is the first step of going back. And if she could have went back, she would have went back. But she didn't have the opportunity to go back because God wanted something to stand through all time. If I've delivered you some from, from something, don't look back and don't go back. And Paul said the proverb is true. The dog hath returned to his vomit. He threw it up free from it went right back and ate it again. And Paul said, I see it happening already in the first generation. So do we need a revival today? It's imperative. It's revival or judgment in America. There is no in-between. This lukewarmness and this passivity and this lethargicness and this spiritual deadness, you know how it is in denominations. You go through the motions. Let's go through the, that has to, right above the door, the denominational name should be this scripture. Thou hast a name that liveth, but thou art dead. 
You're living off your past history. You're living off your name and not the reality of the visitation and manifestation of my Holy Spirit. And I know some of the pastors behind the scenes and some of the marital situations that the pressure of ministry because achieving in that ministry becomes more important than serving God and growing in God. And you see the death that settles there. Christians without peace trying to tell the world they need Jesus. And the world says, what can he do for me? Because he sure hasn't done anything for you. It's easier to put a bumper sticker on your car than it is for people to actually see the hope that's in you and be drawn to you. I remember as we close, I remember when I was 12 years bivocational. It was a good time in my life because I got to win some people to the Lord. Get off from work, dead tired, 10.30 at night, 2 to 10.30. Man, come up to me, Rev, can I talk to you? I said, sure. Walk with me to the parking lot, walk to his car, and start talking about the Lord. Get on my cell phone, call Pamela, and say, Pamela, I'm not broke down. I'm off from work, but I'm talking to a man here about Jesus, and I'll be home as soon as I can. And I thought, Lord, thank you. Thank you that he saw more than a bumper sticker. Thank you that he saw something in me that made him want to know where I get that hope. Where do I get that peace from? Hallelujah. And then open the door to tell him about Jesus. Hallelujah. 